You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, I'm glad you joined us on this day. I know, you know, it's interesting. I I know, you know, churches kind of like love and hate this day because it's the end of the year, beginning of the next. People don't really know. But I've actually been waiting for this day. I don't know if you didn't know this, but I've been praying for you to be here this morning to receive this. And so you didn't come because it was an accident. You came because I believe that God wants to do something fresh in your life. Are you with me? And I know normally I would do like some really good intro, but I got so fired up in pre-service prayer that I just thought I'd just go straight in and I'm going to believe the Holy Spirit's going to fill in the blanks for you um, for the funny anecdotes. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys ever have anything in your life that is just, it's profound to you in, in memory. Um, I got this Bible a long time ago in my life and uh, it was when I first really started serving the Lord and um, I I, I forgot what the date was on here, but uh, I had this Bible, and I was reading this Bible when I got called into ministry, and it's interesting how this Bible has been through so many things. It's been all around the world with me, uh, and then in one of uh, our toughest seasons here in planting this church, uh, as if to so clearly define the season of life I was in, I put it on top of my car and drove off, and somewhere around here at the ATL Wings, it got run over by a car for about a day and a half. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes life is its own brilliant metaphor. <laughs> um, but, uh, and it's funny because I kind of then, I, I, I didn't even put it back together. I, uh, and I didn't even plan on sharing this, but I just put it on my shelf. I just kind of like put it there. And what's funny to me is it, it became symbolic, I think, uh, to the promises of, of God in my life. Almost like I, I had gotten like a cleaner, simpler version in, in this new Bible. And again, just follow me. I'm not normally this, you know, romanticized about things. Uh, But this week, I I just felt so stirred because I've been just feeling the stirring for the Lord to do a new thing and to restore, I think, what we've almost like let go of sometimes just because of the general uh, getting run over by life. And so I put it back together with what I deem the worst choice to put a book back together, black electrical tape, but it's what I have, so don't judge me. Uh, And I put it back together and somehow, I I just, I anointed every day, but it's still holding together. But I I believe in something, and I preach out of something, and it's got ripped pages, and I read it, and I see the writings of me, uh, you know, 18 years ago, writing in this Bible, believing the promises of God someday for for the church that I was going to lead. And you didn't know this, but for 18 years, I've been praying and believing for you and what God's going to do in your life. Isn't that crazy? You don't have to clap for me. I'm just saying that's crazy, right, to, to think about that. And so what happens is we come to this morning, and I, and I believe that we're moving from a season of foundation to a season of filling. And so the reason we're doing this foundations class is because I want you to feel empowered and encouraged and strengthened to live out the ministry of life that God's called you to. And there's some big questions that we don't always get to walk through on a Sunday or you don't necessarily get to bounce back and forth because we're not a call and response style church that uh, we believe that Terry is gifted and anointed and equipped to lead. And, and I believe that that's part of the season for us to go from spiritual foundations to spiritual formations to begin to walk in this season of feeling that God has for us, and we're believing for awesome, awesome new things. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, this 21 days of prayer and fasting, because I believe that this is what will release and unlock the breakthrough, not only for this church, but in your life. 
And so what I, w- I just want you to kind of preface this whole message by taking your skepticism out of your mind and putting it maybe on the chair next to you that's not occupied by your friend. Right? Take the skepticism out of your mind as I'm saying the word breakthrough, as, I'm sa- as I say these things. Take it out of your mind and, and just put it next to you and-, and just receive. Can you do that this morning? Just just receive. And later, if you don't believe me, pick it back up, put it in your mind, walk out disgruntled. That's fine. But, but j- just go with me this morning. Cool? Can we do that? Good. I think it's going to be a great way to start your new year. But let's pray together. God, we give you this morning. God, even as we prayed this morning and prophesied this morning and declared your promises, I just declare them again over this place. I declare the visions and the promises that have been spoken over this church. And we believe and we ask for their release in the name of Jesus. We walk in that, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And God, we thank you that you are consuming fire, so just stir it up this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you guys had a good Christmas, or at least you, you made it through. It was a good Christmas Eve service. That's one of the highlights. I appreciate that only one chair got candle wax on it. That's a huge win for us, y'all. Uh, <laughs> uh, but this season, I don't know if you guys were here when I was talking about building my daughter a playhouse. And uh, this is my personality, is I never go small, ever. And I never start something with the expectation of not doing it fully, and it is my style or my life or my curse to, to just go all in all the time. And so uh, with this playhouse, I could have done many things. And at Target, I had this realization, and sometimes I do this, and then I go, no. I looked at this playhouse, and I thought, I could have just bought one of these. <laughs> they sell these guys. <laughs> and But what I did is I built a 9-foot by 7-foot by 6-foot playhouse. Some of you are like, that's my apartment. Uh <laughs> It is. It's got tongue and groove flooring. Um, it's got really nice uh, siding shiplap, y'all. Uh, Joanna Gaines, shout out. Uh, but <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. I'm going to get some LED uh, solar power lights in there. Uh, and, and it's probably the coolest thing I've ever done for my daughter. And, and, and we saved a long time in order to do it. People are like, you guys got, no, we don't have the money to do this. We save. Uh but we, I built her this playhouse, and it's the coolest gift I think I've maybe ever given her. You've given her life. I've given her a playhouse. It's, I don't know. It's close. <laughs> but it's the coolest thing, and, and, and I love this playhouse. And she would come out, and she'd look at it, and she'd see the floor, and she'd get excited. And then we'd frame it. She'd come out, and she'd look at it again. She'd, I'd put the roof on. It's got a nice comp roof. She'd come out and look at it. And every day she'd, like, get excited about this playhouse uh, in, in her mind and in her heart. And we gave it to her on Christmas. And when we gave it to her on Christmas, she's just so excited. So, so, so excited. And, 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 and we love it. She loved it. The playhouse was gave it to her. We filled it. See, the gift was already really cool, right? The playhouse was so cool. And she could have used her imagination. But uh, us and, and uh, Katie's parents and my parents, we just asked people, hey, hey, if you're going to give her a present, give her something for the playhouse. Because we want to give her tools and resources to get the most out of the playhouse. Right? Because the playhouse is already a cooler gift. She could never build it. Like, my, my four-year-old, I, she can get a couple nails in. I'm teaching her. But she could not build this, right? This is a gift that I've given her, we've given her as her loving parents, and we desire to have fun. But not only as a shell, we want to give her stuff to use it to its kind of fullest ability. Are you with me? And so I gave her things that opened up and 
opened up the potential of the playhouse. And that's my desire, right? I want her to have the gift, but to have it to the fullest, right? I think the same thing's true in her life. I'm learning as a parent, like Katie gave her life, but then as a good parent, she also desires her, for her to live her life to the fullest. So Katie started this chore chart where now she gets stickers for doing things. We're teaching her disciplines in her life, and, and those disciplines, you know, open up opportunity for her, right? This is called being a person, right? It's like you have to teach kids. You can pick your choice, but you can't choose your consequence. The choices and consequences are linked, and you cannot detach them, right? I know my generation, we struggle with this idea. So you're like, what? <laughs> no, they are. They're linked. Uh, and, and so we do this in her life. We begin to teach her because I desire my daughter to not only live out the life that her mother has birthed and given her, but to live it to the fullest. I want her to be equipped and enabled. I want her to have potential open for her. So as a loving father, what I'm doing is I'm giving her ways. I'm giving her gifts, you know, sometimes a discipline or an attitude or an ability. that Those are gifts. I'm teaching her and giving her gifts to open the potential of her life. So not only does she have the life, but she has it to the fullest. And whether or not you had a parent that did that in your life or did not do it, even if you're on the deficit side, you can still see how it's important, right? They're like, yeah, man, I wish my parents had, had, had given me gifts to unlock the potential of this life. What I love about Christ, what I love about God is that this principle of fatherhood translates. Because Jesus not only came to give you life, but to give you life in the fullest. John 10.10 says, For the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it to the full. See, the enemy desires to steal, to kill, to destroy our life. But Jesus desires that you and I would not only have the gift of life, but that we would have it to the fullest. So not only are we receiving an eternal gift of salvation, but we're receiving something here in this life to have it to the fullest. And I think back to, to my daughter in this example, right? Kate, Katie gives her life, but she also is giving her the ability to live life to the fullest, to the best of our ability. Obviously, we're, we're flawed, right? And, and it doesn't matter to me. It's not conditional on my love to her. It's not like if she, if she uses these tools, then she'll be loved, right? I want to teach her to be a good student. But it's not like if she gets an A or a B or a C or a D and hopefully not an F, uh, that I'm, that's going to affect my love of her, Right? Or it's like, oh, you got to be, now you're dead. It doesn't affect the life that she's received. Or though she might think, I got an F, my parents are going to kill me. Right? There, there are tools that have been given to her that I desire for her to live her life to the fullest. And though I'm an imperfect parent, God is a perfect father. And God desires for you not only to receive life, but to receive it to the fullest. Are you still with me? I like Romans 8, 28, 29. The verse will be up on the screen. It says this. It says, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those, who God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Hear that. To be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, the, work, the good that God wants to work in your life is to become more like Jesus. 
right? To not only receive life, but to, but to receive it in, to, in the fullest, to become more like Christ. See, we so often in the church, and I always try to be positive about the church because we are them, <laughs> is that we've received life, but we just don't know quite yet or want to live it to the fullest, we're like my daughter sitting in an empty playhouse saying, isn't this such a great gift? But having no idea what to do with it, having no tools to unlock its potential, and not really desiring to ask of our father, hey, you should put a table in here or something, right? <laughs> when here he is standing there with the table, with the toys, with the things, with all this saying, listen, I have things that would unlock your potential if you would just accept that there is more. That there is more to life. That there is more. That there's more to life than staying as you are but becoming more like Christ. And that's who Jesus is. He accepts us as we are, but he says, our desire is to become more like Christ. To become more like him. To, see, to receive more of the Holy Spirit. To see God do more. We just can't go another hundred years, heads up, being okay with the level of the Holy Spirit moving in our cities that we've seen. We won't make it. Heads up. But I love Matthew 6. Katie's like, you're getting too real. Back it down. I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> I waited all week for this, guys. Heads up. <laughs> and we're working from home, and you know what I mean? There's less people to run things by. But I love in Matthew 6 because Jesus, as the great teacher, he, he's just such an incredible teacher. He teaches us what does it mean to become more like Christ. So I want to read out of uh, Matthew 6 together. And he's teaching people, if you have your Bible, you can open up there or read there in a second. He's teaching people how to live as disciples of Christ. He's not teaching you how to earn salvation. So follow me here. You got to go back to the metaphor if you can as far as that playhouse metaphor gets you. He's not teaching you to earn salvation, but he's outlining how to live as a disciple of Christ, because he desires you to live in the fullness. This isn't your duty. This is your response to love, right? And, and, and the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount that we'll read here in just a second is to say, listen, uh, you're, you're, you used to be religiously motivated. Now you're relationally motivated. So think of the scripture in this form. When I was a teenager, I was told I had to drive the speed limit by the what? The law. Right? And I never did that. <laughs> well, sometimes I did. There were cops around. <laughs> but when I had a baby that I loved, that I desperately cherished, when there was a love in my life, when there was the love of my existence that I would do anything for, when I was sold out to this, I give it. I know 18 years, I'm just going to love this kid with my whole self. When she's in the passenger seat, you better believe that was the safest driving you have ever seen. Did it abolish the law? No, the law was still there. But what was motivating me? The love. So I, I want us to frame it in that mindset as we read Matthew 6 again, that, that we would shift from the speeding teenager to the people who are motivated by love. Because there's so much more in love. There's so much more in the love than in the law. I'm not abolishing the law, Christ. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Are you with me? Good. All right, well, let's read Matthew 6 together. Open up this Bible. A couple of these pages are ripped, so it takes me a second. Here is going to talk about uh, three gifts that God has given us that the people at the time begin to see as religious duties. They begin to see it as the speed limit. 
and they begin to drive next to each other and say, look how slow I'm going. Right here. And they would give each other credit for how good they drove. And they would get insurance breaks and all these things. And God begins to change it, to shift it, to remember and say, hey, if you've got something you'll love, you'll do it accordingly. As a response. And here it is. Matthew 6. I'm going to read a ton of scripture, so just roll with me here this morning. Matthew 6 says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward, remember that word reward, from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, he's talking about three things here. He's starting giving, prayer, and fasting. And the first part, he's saying when you give... Right, see, under the law, people gave because they were compelled, they were forced to. And so their only kind of reward they felt like they could receive is by showing people how religious and givey they were, right? It's not saying don't tithe at church, don't give, don't be generous. It's saying where are you getting your reward from? Are you with me? And he goes on prayer. It says, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. Like, wait a second, you're saying don't sing together in church or pray? That's not what it's saying. To be seen by men for the sake of self-glorification. But he's saying, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. Then this is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for if you forgive men when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their sins your heavenly father will not forgive your sins which is terrifying and i preached a message on that earlier and if that scared you i'll send you the link um <laughs> but again he's saying listen when you pray what is it about is it about religious glorification or is it about communion with an all-loving all-powerful god who Gave everything to be with you, right? Who desires to be with you. What is it about? What is the condition of the heart about? And he's giving us these tools. First giving, first, then prayer, and now fasting. Verse 16. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they're fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Will reward. Remember, take your cynicism and put it down for a second. Your Father who sees what has been done will reward you. Again, the, the, the goal of this, what he's, what he's teaching us here, is spiritual discipline. It's not self-glorification, right? It's changing the mindset of the people that he's talking about. That fasting is not about suffering so people see you suffer. It's because God has given you a tool for breakthrough, and he says that what you do, he will reward. That one's hard because we struggle with that one. 
But he said, when you pray, it's up to God to reward you. When you give, it's up to God to reward you. When you fast, it's up to God to reward you. It implies a reward. It replies that it implies God's going to do something. And he goes on Matthew 6:19 and he says, "Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Man, that's really clear. I'll get a different translation next time. Kind of muddy it up for us. (laughs) See, Jesus is teaching in this moment what it means to really follow him. And he's giving us the tools to unlock the potential of this life that he's given. And he's saying when you give, when you pray, when you fast, these three things, when you do this. And you're like, well, when, when does he know when we do it? Well, it's because Jesus never assumed that his disciples wouldn't do these things. At the time, they were essential practices uh, of Jewish religious life and devotional life. So, and, and his disciples began to do them so much so that the traditional Jewish believers began to divert their practices away from regular fasting so that they didn't get confused with the Christians. Because it began, became the thing that the followers of Christ did. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you've ever read Casa Discipleship, uh, I, I encourage you, powerful book. He says, Jesus takes it for granted that his disciples will observe the pious customs of fasting. Strict exercise of self-control is an essential feature of the Christian life. Such customs have only one purpose, to make the disciples more ready and cheerful to accomplish those things which God would have done. The reason that Christ assumes that we'll fast It's because he knows the depth of the blessing that it is. He knows. He knows what it unlocks. He knows what it opens. He knows what it prepares. And his whole point in this Sermon of the Mount is to say, listen, you used to be told you had to do this by the law, but now I'm telling you, you should be motivated by love. And like a thirsty man in the desert who finally encounters living water, you should drink your fill as much as possible because there's so much potential in a fullness of life. We're living dehydrated as Christians when we should live with the fullness of the living water. And look what it says after each principle. And I know we're hard because we're so skeptical. But it says, your father will reward you. It doesn't say your self-glorification. It doesn't say Pastor Josh. It, doesn't, it says your father will reward you. We, we struggle with that. We, I know we're, we're not a prosperity doctor in church, but I still read the Bible, and it says he's going to reward you. I'm not, I'm not proclaiming what that reward is. I'm not saying you're getting checks in the mail. I'm saying that it is up to the Lord to reward you because it's up to the Lord. The whole thing is about God because your relationship is with God. It's not with the walls. It's not with the seed. It's not with this, whatever this is. it's with the Lord. He desires relationship. He blesses. He unlocks. He releases the potential. Fasting is rewarded by God. The Bible clearly says it. 
And that's kind of funny. It's like, why would God care if I eat or not? Right? Doesn't that seem a little strange? If you're new to church, you're like, why? Literally, like, what does me not eating have to do with unlocking blessing or unlocking the potential or unlocking or an opening up what God wants to do, preparing the way for the move of God? What, what does me not eating have to do with that? And I think that's a fair question because I don't think, like, as a church and as the, the Western church, we really talk much about it. Because we can get prayer, like, Oh, I get prayer, talking with God, communing with God. I get that benefit of communing and, and, and talking and that God, Almighty God, hears my requests. And we get giving, even though everyone turns into Stevie Wonder sometimes when you pass the plate. <laughs> we get giving, right? It's a spiritual principle. It's a thing that God says we, we can test him in. Uh, he talks about it more than any other uh, taught. Jesus mentions it more than any other topic. Like we, get, we get that. But we don't talk so much about fasting, and I think that's so interesting. Because at the time Jesus taught about fasting, it was a crucial practice in life. The study of early Christian texts show that Jesus and his disciples fasted two to three times a week. Wednesday, Friday, or sometimes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, depending on where things fell. And it's interesting to me that fasting isn't as much a, a part of culture. And just to clarify, what I mean by fasting is intentionally abstaining from food or drink for a period of time. That's what I'm saying, fasting, intentionally. I'm not saying you skip breakfast and you're like, ooh, quick fast, right? I'm saying like you're intentionally for, 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 for a very clear purpose, right? People fast for weight loss. People fast for, to clear toxins. I mean, people fasting is, is a dietary thing, and, and that's true, but I'm talking about fasting for breakthrough in your life. And I think it's interesting that a culture that is all about consumerism is also a culture that has struggled the most with fasting. Isn't that oddly linked? And I think the reason is because fasting, you're like, why fasting? Why does God care if I eat? Because fasting submits the authority of the flesh. I, I don't know if you knew this, but your flesh is at war with your spirit. The lusts of our flesh are constantly working to compromise the desire of our spirit, right? There's a, there's a compromise there. Ever since Adam and Eve, we were reading a book recently as a team, and the writer joked that Adam and Eve literally ate themselves out of home. Right? They literally, the lust, not only the desire of their mind and their heart, but of their flesh, literally ate themselves out of the Garden of Eden. They didn't run themselves out. The, the sin, they ate themselves out because the desire of our flesh. And so when we fast, it dethrones the authority of our stomach. Why does it dethrone? Because it humbles us. Fasting, in its simplest sense, if you want a de definition of fasting, in three words, fasting is humility. The simplest definition, fasting, is humility. Fasting humbles us before God, and a humble heart God cannot resist. He just can't resist it because he loves it so much. Matthew 23, 12 says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I love how clear the Bible is on stuff sometimes. Is that God desires a humble heart. And it's not just a physical thing. Yeah, there's dietary things. Yeah, it cleans toxins. Yeah, it's helpful. Yeah, they link it to living longer. Yeah, all of these things are great. Receive that, right? Amen. I, 
could, I could lose some pounds. That sounds good. You know, all these things are great. But it's not just a physical thing. It's a physical tied to the spiritual. See, fasting is a physical act with supernatural implications. See, fasting not only submits the flesh, but it prepares us for what God wants to do through us. See, at the time that you're submitting the flesh and the desires in you, what you're doing is you're preparing the way for God to do something through you. And it's a physical choice for us, but it's a spiritual choice too. It has profound, supernatural implications. And all throughout Scripture, when you read the Word of God, fasting prepares the way for a move of God. Jesus, uh, when he's baptized and he comes up, he then is led out to the desert and he fasts for 40 days. And if you want to study something fascinating, study 40-day fast in the Bible. It's amazing. Uh, There's how many things happen in 40 days. We can talk about the flow. We can talk about fast. But he goes out and and he fasts in order, before he begins his, his full ministry, Jesus, before he's picking his disciples, before he begins his ministry, he goes out and fasts. So Jesus Christ, the example for all of us, before he goes into this new season and the fullness that God has for him, what does he do? He fasts. That might be a good example. I don't know. Moses fasts for 40 days twice. He fasts first to receive the word of God and receive the Ten Commandments. He then fasts again when he goes down with the word of God. And they're like, I don't know what happened. We threw all our gold in the fire and this golden calf came out. It's funny how that works. So he fasts again, right, for freedom, for breakthrough, for release. Daniel fasts and prays multiple times. He fasts when he's in prison for provision, for life, for sustenance, for opportunity. He fasts when his life is threatened. He fasts so much and prays so much that literally we read in Scripture, and I'm not playing around. Sometimes I feel like we don't fully believe. He fasts, and it says a spiritual battle was won. Like, get behind yourself a little bit and realize that when you fast, angels win at stuff. Am I the only one that's like, what? (laughs) You didn't realize you had that kind of power, did you? Well, you don't. That's the Lord. Literally, the angel comes to him and says, yes, I've been fighting and trying to get to you, but I couldn't. But I was released and I came with the word of God. And I, I just do that for the, that's amazing. We just altar call now, or you guys want to do it? No, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm the only one that would die for that, but I think that's amazing. We're all throughout the Bible. There's all kinds of fasts. I'll send you a list if you want. David fasts when he's in sorrow. Paul fasts. He fasts in prison. He fasts in life. Cornelius is praying and fasting as a Gentile who hasn't even received the gospel. What kind of breakthrough happens because Cornelius is praying and fasting? Literally, the gospel came to you and I. Unless you are Jewish, you owe the, the path of salvation to a man who prayed and fasts. And we're all on that chain all throughout the Bible. And why? Why, why, why? Why is it important? Because fasting prepares the way for a move of God. Fasting prepares the way for a move of God. Whether it's responding to attack, whether it's seeking wisdom, whether it's desiring breakthrough, 
Fasting prepares the way for God to give you fresh revelation, fresh vision, clear purpose. It prepares the way. I want you to hear a word this morning because it's kind of, it's kind of the, the, the central idea as we head into this 21 day of prayer and fasting is that fasting prepares you for the afterwards. Hear that word, afterwards. I want to read a scripture to you out of Joel. It's a pretty famous one. You, you may have heard this if you're on church at all, and it's Joel 2.28. And it says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Verse 29, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You know, almost every revivalist clung to that scripture in some way, shape, or form. Every has, has clung to this, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit. Almost everything has clung to this idea, pour out your spirit, God. We desire more of you. I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian going through the methods, going through the moments. I desire for healing and life and change and transformation and release and freedom. It says, and afterwards. So after what? You ever read scripture and just kind of go through it, and then you don't even think like, after what? After, afterwards what? So I want to tell you. Joel 2, 12 through 17, it says this. Rend your heart. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With what? Come on. Thank you, sister. I love you. Fasting and weeping and mourning. It says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion and declare a holy what? Fast. Call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room, let the bride her chamber, let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, do not make an inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? You're like, ooh. See, God desired to pour out revival on his people afterward. After what? Fasting. Right? This was a promise for Israel. Israel was living in sin. Israel was lost. Israel was in darkness, and they were the chosen people of God. And God says, listen, if you fast, if you repent, I'll pour out my spirit on you. I'll pour out my spirit on you. And I know this is, this is a promise for Israel. But as I read this, I begin to realize that we've been praying verse 28, but we've been missing verse 12. And I desire verse 12 for our church because I want to live in the afterwards. Yeah, we have the Holy Spirit, but we hardly have revival. Right? So what do we need? How do I get here? How do I live here? How, how, do, how do we be here in the afterwards, pouring out his spirit? How do we end up there? Fasting. In the Great Awakening, uh, one of the greatest awakenings and revivals in our country, uh, John Wesley, he would not even ordain a minister unless they already were fasting two days a week. One of the greatest revivals in our nation 
They said, you can't even come in to be a part unless you're fasting already. Why? Because they knew that they wanted to live in the afterwards. They needed to live in the afterwards. And if you want to live in the afterwards, then you got to do what he says before. And that he's given his spirit. We don't have to ask for another Pentecost. We have the Holy Spirit. But there's so much more. Right? Just like they had the Lord. It's not like they didn't have the Lord, but there's so much more. In order to get it, in order to unlock and release it, we believe that fasting. Fast, really fasting? Fasting? How is it that we can go through our whole year, believe and pray for breakthrough and revival, but then never go and look and see what was the condition? It says, and afterwards, and afterwards, could you imagine? Just imagine with me for a second. I don't know, maybe it's hard for you to imagine. I, I, I live in, in, this, in, in this thought, in this dream. Could you imagine a city that prayed and fasted? We're promised the blessing. We're promised the breakthrough. We're promised the afterward. Could you even just like close your eyes and begin to imagine what that would be like? To move out of, of these seasons of scraping it by, to move out of these seasons of cyclical recurring sin, to move out of the seasons of being trapped in the same bondage that the people you work with, even though you're trying to tell them about Jesus Christ. Could you imagine what it would be like to live in the afterwards? where he poured out his spirit, where he gave visions and dreams, where he's waking you up at night with visions, where you're laying hands on people and they're getting healed. Can you imagine? Because heads up, that was the normal. That's what he said we would do. But what are we missing? And as a church, we believe fasting. I'm going to invite our band up. See, I believe in fasting because I believe as you deny yourself in the physical, you're releasing the potential of the supernatural. And again, I'm not saying these are conditional on salvation. If you, if you don't fast in the 21 days, it's like, well, you're not going to heaven. Or you get like heaven be. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that there's so much more. I'm saying that there's, there, there's so much more. There's so much more of God to have. And if that doesn't break your heart, go home after this service and just put your face to the ground and say, God, stir up the deadness in my heart so I can realize that there's so much more of you. Because there's so much more. There's so much more. There's so much more. Can I tell you, I want to see breakthrough in your life. The reason I think you're here, we read this scriptures, the reason I think you're here is because God wants to create through fasting. He wants to create breakthrough in your life. I'm not going to dictate what that is. And again, it, that's why I appreciate we started by putting our cynicism like, no, we can't. We put that over here. It lives over here. It's over here. We're over here. We're living in the promises. Can I tell you? Yeah, we could do church. We could walk through the things. We could go through the motions. But I, I don't want to live in that. You and I, we won't make it. I want to live in the afterwards. I want to live in the healing. I want to live in the freedom. I, want, I don't want to live in a world that just tells addicts that, that, that you can't be healed. I don't want to live in a world where hospitals, we don't feel like we have the authority to go in and heal. I don't want to live in a world where, where people have brokenness in their minds, hearts, and bodies, and we don't believe, we don't see the healing. I, don't want, to I, I want to live in the afterwards. I don't want to live in you just carrying the generational brokenness of your family into the future. I want to live in the afterwards. I don't want to live in you crying out to God, wondering where he is, trying to find him and other people, a man or a spouse. I don't want to live there. I want to live in the afterwards. 
I want to live in the freedom of Christ. I want to live in the life. I want to live with Jesus. I want to live in what he intended for us. The crazy thing is, is that it's reestablishing what he meant for the church. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, I'm going to pour it out. And then we're like, I don't know if I want to do that. It's like, well, hey, heads up. I've already promised it. Why not just do it so you can get it? Because there's so much more. There's so much. I, I mean, I wish I could smash this microphone into a million pieces just to be like, there's so much more. Because my heart aches. I wish I could crawl inside of your heart when you meet with me and tell me the same garbage over and over again in your life. I just want to get inside your heart and I want to say there's more. There's more. You don't got to live there. You don't got to live in the before. You don't got to live in the oppression. You can live in the afterwards. You can live there. And I'm not saying you got to get hyped up to get there. I'm literally saying you got to not eat food for a couple days. <laughs> right? It's no theological seminary. It's a supernatural unleashing by dethroning the stomach and living in the spirit. And God is saying, who wants to live there? Who wants to live in the afterwards? Who wants to live in the afterwards? Who wants to live there? Who wants to live in the freedom? Man, we already took your cynicism out, so don't, don't go get it right now. Leave it over here. He says, who wants to live in the afterwards? Who wants to live in breakthrough? And you're like, I, I do. Terry does. I know. My sister Terry, she, she's already there. She's trying to drag us in together. <laughs> she's, she's, she'll lasso some of you by the foot, and you're like, what is happening? <laughs> But we desire to live there. And we say, Jesus, how, how do I get there? Because I don't want to live. I don't want to live in this brokenness. I want to live close to you. I want to be in that freedom. I want to walk with the Spirit. Some of you, you've been there so you know. You've walked with the Spirit. You walk with the Spirit now so you know the freedom and love. And I love that. I love when you prophesy. I love when Celine comes up and she just prophesies the promises of God. It's like, oh, that's somebody living in it. I love it. I love my sister. She's amazing. We're like, how do I get there? It seems so impossible. It seems so impossible. I've never stood up on stage and like spoken tongues or, you know, <laughs> laid hands. I don't know. And so what he did is he gave you tools to unlock the gift that he's given you. He gave you a gift and he gave you more gifts because he loves you. And he said, here's what you do. You give, you pray, you fast. And when you do that, I will open and unlock the potential of this life so that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Would you stand with me this morning? You just close your eyes with me because I want, I want you to hear this last part because it's important. I think in the church, we, we've softened it so you don't always feel free to repent because then, I don't know, it might look bad, I don't know, something. But, but what he couples with fasting here is repentance. Can I tell you, repentance is a good thing. I'm, I'm, we're just going to, with your eyes closed, your head bowed, focus in this moment. I'm just going to remove the myth of repentance, which attaches it to guilt and shame. See, the great thing about Jesus Christ is that you can come in full repentance to him and not experience guilt and shame. You've never had a relationship like that, so that's confusing. But what he couples with fasting what he couples in this moment is repentance. What repentance means is, God, I've, be, I've worshiped other things. I want to worship you. The goal of true worship is repentance. And if we want to see that breakthrough unlocked in our life, it starts with repentance. 
He's given you the tools and you can fast all you want. You could not eat for weeks. You could die not eating, but if it's not coupled with a repentant heart that says, God, I die to myself, I want more of you, then, then, then it's kind of meaningless. So with your eyes closed and your head back, here's what I'm gonna do. I, I'm gonna invite the Lord to begin to stir on your heart because I believe he is for fasting for 21 days with our church together to believe breakthrough in your life. We have guides. If you're like, I, I don't know what to fast, there's a guide online. There's a guide in the back of the prayer table and outside. There's all kinds of opportunities to learn. With your eyes closed and your head, but I'm just gonna give the opportunity, opportunity for repentance. And again, everything that pulls at us right in this moment is like, oh Lord, please don't ask, don't have him ask me to come forward. Don't have him ask me to come forward because then people are gonna know that I'm kind of messed up. But I'm just gonna spoil it for you right now and say they already know. Because we all desire to take ourselves off the throne and put Christ and say, God, I lay everything down, everything that might separate me from you. And I take this moment and I ask, God, would you make me new? I'm going to talk next week, but I'm going to tell you right now, right now you are an old wineskin. And scripture says if you put new wine in an old wineskin, it'll break. So God's going to make you new so that you can receive the new fresh anointing. So in order for him to do that, what do you have to do? You gotta just repent and say, God, I put you first in my life. I seek you with my whole life. I take myself off the throne and I put you first. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a call to response in prayer. And again, we are committed as a church that, are, and I'm gonna step down first even, that repentance is not a bad thing, it's a celebrated thing. So it leads to revival. One of my favorite revival stories is that a young man goes out in the schoolyard, leaves his class, goes out, kneels down and repents, comes back in, sits at his desk because other students are so moved by his repentance, not shame, not guilt, repentance, that they all go out in turn and kneel down, empty out the whole classroom, and one of the greatest revivals in our nation breaks out. Repentance. I'm going to give you a moment here. It's your last moment as you feel that stirring. It's if you're saying, God... I want breakthrough in my life. I desire breakthrough in my life. God, God I, I, I want to be a part of prayer and fasting and seeking you. But God, I need you to make me new. I need you to make me new this morning. Maybe restore the hope. I'm doubting, but I need you to restore that hope, that feeling of when I first encountered you. God, I need you to make me new this morning. I'm going to invite you in just three seconds to come right up here. And we're going to pray and receive and You're just going to surrender. And to act before the Lord to say, God, make me new. Make me new. If you want to see breakthrough, it requires movement. Movement requires movement. Say, God, if you want to make me new. All our eyes are closed, heads are bowed. I'm going to invite you forward. One, two, three. If you want to come forward, say, God, make me new this morning. Make me new this morning. Make me new this morning. I desire a fresh outpouring, but I need you to make me new this morning. Make me new this morning. And as you come down, we can just, our eyes are closed. We're in this moment. I, I'm going to invite the worship team just to begin to sing Build My Life. And as we do, all I want you at the front is begin to seek the Lord and say, God, I humble myself. I repent. I lay it down. And as we pray that, we say, God, I pray for a fresh anointing. Our prayer team is going to be up here. They'll be praying over you as you go. But I'm just going to invite you in this moment. Just begin to seek the Lord and say, God, I repent. I lay down my heart. I lay down my spirit. And I pray, God. 
God, I pray that there would be a fresh outpouring on this place, a fresh outpouring. Make us new. Make us new in this place. Pour it out in this place this morning. Pour it out in this place. Come on, as we worship, just begin to surrender in this mode. It's you and the